Turn to John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the woman at the well. And how that relates to where we're going here in ministry. The woman at the well. Just take a moment to to read over it. It starts in um, John chapter 4. Just read, it's just a few passages there where Jesus encounters this woman at the well. As you're doing that, I'm just going to pray. Father God, we ask that you would just bless us today. Speak to us through your word. Be with us in the service this morning and in this evening. Bless everyone that comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Just read those verses 1 to 26, if you could, please. I see somebody very special in our service. Let's give it up for Jenna Marcus Velasquez. I was actually going to have you testify today. You want to talk about what God's been doing at SUM and in your life and everything? Amen. That's awesome. Let's get excited. And then since we're clapping, we have uh, some visitors from Illinois that are going to be joining with us at SUM. It's Carlos and Andrew. Guys, would you wave your hands? Let's bless them. Amen. Thank you. All right, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, probably one of the best uh, examples of one-on-one evangelism. And what stands out to me right here 
is that Jesus goes out of his way to meet with her. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says that the Pharisees heard about Jesus gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, if we had a map right here, some of the SUM students are learning geography. Samaria is not on his way or not the proper route to go back to Galilee. He went out of his way to go to Samaria. And look what it says. Now he had to go. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Now he had to go. How many have to go and read somebody for Jesus? Come on, crossover. Do you have to go and read somebody for Jesus? Elevate, Latino ministry, children's ministry, adopt-a-block ministry, everything we do in this church. Isn't that our, our heart right here that we are prompted, we are motivated, we are inspired now to go to Ohio Park. Now we have to go through uh, Wright College. Now we have to go through Prosser. Amen. Come on, somebody look at your neighbor and say, now you have to go. You see, you can't wait around for somebody else to go for you. You've got to go personally. And here's the thing, people around you may not understand it. Because the Bible says, So we came to a town in Samaria near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, right here, it doesn't tell you the complete story, but we hear a little bit later that the disciples are asking him, why are you here? You're not even eating any food. What's going on? And we find out the end of the story. Jesus says, my food, my meat is to do the work of the Lord. Amen. So you can even see that sometimes disciples don't even get it. That's why leaders have got to get the charge and the other disciples got to trust them. Because Samaria to a Jew was a dirty, dirty place. Somebody say it was dirty. Come on, look at your neighbor and say it was dirty, dirty. Samaritans were half Jewish and half pagan. And so to a purebred Jewish person, these people were just dirty, dirty. And Samaria was a dirty, dirty place because they compromised an awful lot. They really didn't serve God over there. The, the Jewish side really wasn't lived out in their lives. Occasionally, they would show up to the temple. But they, in their daily lives, in that town, served pagan gods. And so it says, Jesus goes there. He's tired. He sits by the well. And then, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So right here you, you, you see that Jesus is breaking all of the cultural laws. Number one, a man of his stature, even though he didn't go through rabbinical school, wasn't technically a rabbi, he did everything a rabbi would do. He taught the word, he was in the synagogue. Are you all with me with that? So that didn't mean he went through the training, but he wore the rabbi outfit. He did the work of a rabbi. Rabbis were not even supposed to really talk to women. Okay, in church, they would sit on another side. They weren't involved in the daily affairs of life. That's why when you go into the New Testament, and Paul is talking about women not being able to speak and these different things, it's because he's trying to combine uh, the pagan church that he's seen come to be Christians with the Jewish church that are already Christians, and he's trying to find a common ground to where they can have an order in their services. Are you with me? 
Very similar to India in, in their practice of Hinduism, the women sit separate from the men, etc. And so when you go to India, they already do something like that. And so when they read a scripture that says that, they, they say, amen, we can do that because we've already been sitting separately. It's illegal for a man and a woman to even hold hands on the streets in India. And, and since they already have a sari, which is their outfit, when they pray, they put it over their head. Are you guys with me? Now that was how Paul was directing it there. Now listen, Jesus is here. As a rabbi, as a teacher of the Jewish law, and he starts talking to a woman. And we're not even talking like any old woman. This is a dirty woman. She is a Samaritan in their mind, you know. This, and in the Jewish mind, she's dirty. And then we go one step further. He begins to ask her for something. Now, the Bible says that if he would even take this something, that he would be considered unclean. He would defile himself. Now, the thing we're going to see here is it's not that Jesus was going to sin to win the loss. Because somebody might say, hey, man, let's go get a cold brewski at the bar and win somebody to the loss. I know nobody would say amen to that. Somebody say, oh, me. Say, oh, my. Okay, so we ain't saying amen to that. But maybe a sinner might look at this and say, oh, it worked for Jesus. I'm going to go to Hooters and I'm going to try to win the waitress to the Lord just by hanging out with her. Now, I've been in bar evangelism, and you've got to be very careful when you do that. You come in large groups, you keep each other accountable, and you just come in and explode and do your thing for Jesus and get out, okay? At one time, my friends wanted to pull a joke on me because we were in a gay bar, okay? And uh, there ain't nothing wrong, but there was something wrong with this because I'm just sitting, you know, there's these older guys, and it just gets weirder after this, so hold on, okay? older guys and they're just kind of like leaning up against the bar you know and talking and i'm just like talking to gary and i'm trying to you know talk to him in a polite way hey do you know jesus and um when i go to say here are my friends my friends left me down there so i go like hey i'm just witnessing these are my friends he's like i don't see any friends now honestly why are you here And I was just like, uh, I'm leaving now. God bless you. We'll preach to you later. And I said to my friends, never do that. But they all were laughing. They just thought it was hysterical that they just left me. And I just turned around. It was just me. And it didn't feel right. So Jesus is doing something very similar to that. But he's not sinning. Everybody say he's not sinning. So I want you to understand he's breaking cultural laws, but not the law of God. Okay, so we're not going to break the law of God to see somebody saved, okay? We're not going to missionary date single people. You're not going to date somebody that's not saved and say, oh, I'm just going to get them saved. They'll get saved. No, we're not talking about that. Jesus was breaking cultural laws. The example of this today would be, what does a white boy do and belong in Ohio Park? He has nothing to do there. He doesn't belong there. People looked at me all day when I was there yesterday at Ohio Park like, what are you doing here, boy? What, what you, you, you miss your bus? Hello? And when a group of us came down there, Latino, but you could just tell we weren't the hood. We weren't Ohio Park type people. When we went to Yo Mama's Pizza, the, the people, you know, they, they, they looked at us like, are you guys lost? Like, I don't know if you guys got off at the wrong train stop, but do you know where you are? And then that was like a witnessing tool for us. For us. Why? Because we were breaking cultural laws. You see, the cultural law says African-Americans, you stay here. Latinos, you stay here. Rich people, you stay here. Poor people, you stay here. At the lunch table, nerdy people, you stay here. Jocks and cool people, you sit here. You see, if you want to go and reach somebody for Christ, you're going to have to break those cultural laws. 
And you've got to say, I've got to do this. I've got to stand up and go where no one is, is, is welcoming me. No one knows about me. Nobody even likes me. But I'm going to go and preach the gospel because I'm going to tell them about Jesus. So let's say at the lunch table, let's go back to that example. You might have a whole table of girls that don't like you, don't even care about you, but God says you have to go and tell them about Jesus. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's the guy that, that works and gives you a hard time and he doesn't like you. You're supposed to walk up to him and say, now let's go out to lunch. And when it's private lunchtime, then you can tell them about J-E-S-U-S. Come on, somebody. So here you go, the man of God of faith and power for the hour, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the anointed one, sits right down, and he asks the woman for something. What is he doing? He's beginning to have her lay down her guard. He's wanting to give her a chance to open her heart up. And he says, give me some water. And then she answered, um, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not even associate with Samaritans. And so right here, she gives him the cultural law. But don't you think Jesus already knew that? So that's like, you know, we being in Ohio Park, and then the, the person says, you ain't even supposed to be here. What are you doing out here? And I'm like, I know that, but I've come to tell you about Jesus. You see, that's the difference. Jesus was willing to pay the price in man's eyes to please to be right in God's eyes, to please God. Who are you going to please, man or God? And then moving on down, Jesus says to her, If you knew, verse 10, the gift of God, who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, from, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And who gave us this well and drank from it himself also and did also his sons and flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Somebody say eternal life. Thank you. So the, God takes the woman's example of water, talking about water. She's coming for water, and then turns her right into an example of salvation, eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So just like Nicodemus, she doesn't get it. Jesus is talking about being born again. Nicodemus is talking about being a 60-year-old man going up into his mother's womb. Everybody say gross. Okay, and then right here, she's starting to think like, oh, snap. Okay, you got this water, never runs out, give it to me. I'll just be at home and just keep getting manis and patties then. I don't have to leave. Okay, everybody say manny and petty. That's what she was thinking. She was saying she could get more time for manis and petties. Which when I was in California, I looked for a man's spa to get a manny and a petty, but she didn't know of any, which is a good thing, I guess. Praise the Lord. Okay, so back to the word. She says, give me this water and I'll never come again. In verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back. See, a lot of people forget this about the story. Jesus now nails her where her sin is. Why is it important to bring up people's sin when witnessing to them? Why not just tell them it's all good? Why not just say, God wants to bless you. God's going to give you water. God's going to give you an eternal home in heaven. God's going to take care of your family. Why is it wrong to just say all of those things and not the others about sin? Because God said sin is what keeps us from God. So all these people that have churches that are just telling people about blessings and blessings and blessings, and everybody says, I want to be blessed, I want to be blessed, actually, they're not going to be blessed. 
Because if they haven't been taught about sorrow and repentance and brokenness and sin, in God's eyes, there's still a wall between them. And even though they may look good on the outside, even though they may go to church on Sunday, they're still not blessed. They're under the curse of God. And that's why it's very important when we preach to people, whether you just call it sin and rebuke them and tell them about heaven and hell, or you do it just as, as, as wonderful as Jesus did, just say, hey, go get your husband. You know, that would be like you just saying to somebody today, hey, go get your husband. Let's come to church. And like, man, I don't got a husband. That's right. You've been shacking up with that man, and you've been shacking up with four or five other men. You see, Jesus was going to tell her just as it was. She, he says, go get your husband. And she says back to him, she says, I do not have a husband. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, you have said right when you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you are now with is not your husband. What, have, what you have just said is quite true. You know, David and I were talking to a couple the other day that were saying because they shacked up, um, they did the, the funky chicken. Can I say that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They got together and, and they started having sex and they said, hey, biblically, we're married. That's what they try to tell us. You know, really, you know, a marriage certificate, what's that? And they try to be all spiritual then. And we're like, what's that? You know, you do that in the Old Testament, you die, you know. You've you got you to follow the, the Word of God. You're, they're like, well, you know, what if we just really love each other? Here's a perfect example of that, David. I came, came to me after I talked to him. Jesus said, you've had five, but none of them are your husband. What does that mean? She was having sex with them, but in God's eyes, they weren't her husband. You all get that? See, Jesus valued marriage. That's a whole other subject, but I just want to give a little land yet, some extra to Carrasco, because we knew it was wrong. We knew they were breaking the laws of the land. We know God believes in marriage and, and the ordaining of, of priests and elders and, and pastors to be a part of that, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament. And so we, we believe that, but I just wanted to put that little land yet there, that just because you have sex with somebody, they're not your husband. And everybody who already had a brain, who knows what that means, somebody say amen. So you already knew that, but I just had to throw that out there for somebody who didn't, okay? And it says, she goes, Sir, verse 19, I can see that you are a prophet. Bam, there comes the revelation. She sees who Jesus is when we go places, when we reach out to them, use points of contact to preach them the gospel, Jesus in the water. We begin to show them their sin. A word of knowledge came forth. Jesus had a word of knowledge supernaturally to know those details. When we display the power of God, people will see who Jesus really is. He's no longer a tired man next to a well, but he's the Son of God in the flesh. He's no longer that person on the cross. He's their Lord and Savior. And that's why when we go out preaching and teaching, we need to do it with signs and demonstration of the Spirit. Amen? He's, she said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that we must worship in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is... I love just calling women, women. Isn't that awesome? Woman, come here and get me something. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. That's just a polite way of saying y'all worshiping the wrong thing. I just love it how he says it. Like, y'all know what you're worshiping. Jesus, you're so nice, but he was tight and right. Amen? As we worship, what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Here we go. Here's a prophetic uh, promise. Yet a time is coming and now come, has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to you. 
Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So she went from the revelation of Jesus being a prophet to being the Messiah, being her Savior. What a wonderful story. So what can we learn from this today in Sunday school? What I believe God is asking us to do as we grow, as we explode, as all of these ministries are continuing to increase, we can never lose the heart for the one. Amen? The heart to gather just the one. Is there room at the cross for just one more? Yes, there is. The example that I love to, to talk about is in our book, Schindler's List. Anybody ever seen that movie? He spends all of his life savings to buy Jews, to buy Jews so that they don't get sent to concentration camps. And at the end of his life, he's hired them at his factory, and he's setting them all free so they can go. And at the end of his life, he sees this whole crowd of them, and they come to him with a little baked bread, and they're trying to bless him. One of them gives him an old watch they had, and he just starts breaking down and crying. And he starts saying to himself, if I would have got rid of my car, I could have got just one more out. He says, if I would have got rid of my suits, I could have got just one more out. If I would have got rid of my watch, which was worth you know, a lot of money, I could have got just one more. And that's the thing I want to ask you. Is it worth just one more going out of your way? Just one more at Ohio Park. Just one more at Wright College, Prosser, down the street from your house, Latino ministry, witnessing door to door. Do you have to go? Yes. Why? Because God is compelling you. And is it worth just one more? And as we finish on in this story, it goes on that the woman goes back, tells the town what God has done in her life, and then she brings a whole crowd of people to come see Jesus. They get saved. Then, after Pentecost, the next city after Jerusalem that sees revival is Samaria when Philip goes down there. God did such a mighty work, not only in her life, not only in her town's life, but in that whole region because of what just one person did. Jesus said, I will reach out to one. I have to go through Samaria. So my challenge is for you. See today how you can reach the one. Just... Get in your ministry groups as you're praying this week and just start saying, God, how can I reach the one? What can we do this summer? Because we're coming into a season where things are going to get really busy. We have the Boricua Fest. We have our retreat. We have a mission trip. We have all these dates planned to go to Ohio Park. The youth ministry is doing internship. We have all of these things. Four of you are going to Mexico for pretty much the entire summer. Ask yourself, everybody in all your ministries, what can I do to reach just one more? You see, if I said to you, well, let's just all do this, that may not be God because one of you might just be walking, you know, to your friend's house and God might say, hey, stop and just knock on this person's door and tell them about Jesus. You see, you're on your way somewhere, but God's going to say, go out of your way and just knock on this door. Why can't you do evangelism just when you're by yourself, right? Now, young ladies, be careful with that. But I'm just saying, like, why can't it work just like that? Or maybe you're like me and you're catching lunch. And as you're walking out of the, um, you know, the Mr. Z's or dog stop, maybe there's somebody right there at the table and the Lord says, stop and talk to them. I know you got a 3 o'clock appointment, but right now stop and talk to them. Let's be sensitive to that. Let's be sensitive to what God is saying. And when we're there, let's display the power of God. Let's just not give information. Let's impart revelation. Let's reveal who Jesus is by praying for the sick when they're sick. Saying, oh, are you sick? Can I pray for you? Have you been, you know, they're talking about, oh, I have these problems with alcohol. Can I pray you get set free right now? And then also listening to what God is saying. Listening to what the Lord is saying about them so that when you're talking to them, you can see their heart the way God sees it and say, hey, I know you're saying these things, but this is what God's dealing with. 
I think of the example last year during the, uh, the Boricua Fest we were doing witnessing at night, and we were out there on Belmont and Clark, and this one guy was just him hauling around. He was playing with me. He was just really not being honest, and I could tell that he wasn't really wanting to listen to me. And right at the end, I just said, man, can I just pray for you? And I just began to pray for him, and a word came to my heart. He's being dishonest, and something is wrong with him and his father. That's what came to my heart. I then looked at him. And I said, I just feel in my heart that you're being dishonest, and the Lord told me that there's something with you and your father. He then looked me back in the eye. He was totally shocked, and he said, I have lied to you about everything I just told you, from my name to what I do for a living to who I am. I was just messing with you. I had some drinks tonight. And he said, you have just put the fear of God in me. He says, I am totally afraid right now. He said, because my father and I are not right, and that's one of the reasons I am so bitter at God right now. You could just see it just changed, man. Why? Because I said to the Lord, God, I've given him all the information. He's hiding his heart from you. He's hiding in this conversation. But God, you can expose it. Now, I wish that could happen every time. Because one time I was praying like that and I felt the Lord say he's gay. He's dealing with homosexuality. And I said that back to a guy and he said, no, you're wrong. I said, what about every now and then? (laughs) No. Have you ever looked and looked twice? And did he really got mad at me? So he was either lying really, really good to me, or he really was as straight as an arrow, and he thought I was a nut. And the partner I was with was like a new person evangelizing, and they're like, is that how it's supposed to work? <laughs> I'm like, no, it doesn't really work that way. I'll get, I'm going to get better at this. Just keep praying for me. So the encouragement is to go for the one. Amen.